Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode hello hello welcome back to the consummate athlete podcast peter how's it going it's going well we're rolling along things are are just going swimmingly as they say we have Mm -hmm. not been no well you've been swimming but i have not been swimming but swimmingly and you know what my swim did not go swimmingly though I, i think there's a lot of i think this is you know how everyone was saying that they're the road people were going to crash when they got back onto the you know road cycling in, mm-hmm. in groups after being indoors. I think swimming sort of similar. I think everyone's like, whoa, whoa <laughs> water, hey, and, you hey. know, number one, because it's hard to do that at home. And then just the other people and you have to stay straight in the lane. And yeah, yeah. The staying in your own lane or staying on your side of the lane seems to be a bit of an issue. I've heard a lot of clients have had different impacts and uh, strong conversations, we'll say, with with their lane mates. Well, I didn't have a strong conversation, but I legitimately thought I fractured my wrist. Um, on another which, man's foot. Yeah, on another man's foot because he kicked my watch really hard. And I would like to point out I was not the one with the problem because I kept scraping the like side, the buoys on the side, trying so hard to stay like as tight to them as possible because he was just kind of all over the place. Okay. So yeah, uh, be be careful out there. It's yeah. uh, it's tough in the in the pool. <laughs> All right. Anything else going on? We got posts on the site. Still a little bit from your hundred miler and learnings thereof. Is there what else did we get up this week? Yeah, actually, well, a lot of people are starting to race, so I actually did one on sort of thinking through your pre-race rituals. So I'm talking a little bit about mine, but it's actually more about the idea of finding a pre-race routine that's repeatable pretty much wherever you are right so i talked about how you know for me pizza is the pre-race meal because pretty much anywhere in the world you're going to be able to find pizza or a reasonable facsimile to pizza Mm -hmm. Um, but then there's so many other routines and stuff that i know i've seen people try to have try to maintain and you know the more precious your routine is the the less likely it is that you're going to be able to actually execute it so it's about having a routine but also making sure that it's one that you can replicate over and over and it's not going to be difficult to do. Sure, sure. Yeah, and the food's a piece of that, but it would be, you know, maybe how you warm up for different types of events or different conditions and Yep, and your your usual structure of do you do you go to the race site the day before and pick up your packet if that's available to you? Uh, do you do you watch us a horror movie versus a, an action movie versus a, a Adam sitcom. Sandler movies. Yeah. Only. Yeah. Well, I actually talked about uh, for my biggest races, I rewatched the cartoon version with Carrie Russell uh, voicing Wonder Woman from mm-hmm. like 2004 or something. I had a good run where we would watch, uh, the mechanic we had on the team uh and i would watch cool runnings which is just a fantastic about the jamaican bobsled team john candy is in it nice uh yeah it just has some amazing quotes like we are not the swiss so we would scream that at each other because the swiss are quite dominant in mountain biking that is actually <laughs> really appropriate mountain bike so sort of yeah. i don't know if it improved performance but it was it was good times right and it's uh yeah it sort of just sets you into that rhythm and mindset so that's good that'll be an interesting post people can check out 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So head over to consummateathlete.com for that. Um, and then actually, so today's guest, I'm pretty excited to have on Catherine Taylor and Christy Mon from the Girls Gone Gravel. You might recognize them. I might have mentioned it last week. podcast. Podcast. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so I was actually on their podcast, the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, which is part of Feisty Media, which is just this amazing conglo- conglomeration of uh, women's podcasts and events and content and and just all things women in sport, which is super cool. Uh, but I really enjoyed talking to those two on their podcast. We we got to I got to do a couple of my rants on uh, uh, bike fit and laundry as cyclists and all of my favorite uh, topics, and we went really in depth. So if you haven't heard me talk about my my one of my earlier books, Saddle Sore, definitely check out that podcast because I get into kind of all the basics from that book. Okay, and you said their podcast was a good mix of sort of uh, you know. If you just want to try a gravel race, uh, mm-hmm. but then also some some deep intel if you want to get into it. Oh, uh, yeah. You said they, one of them are involved in Unbound. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they really cover all aspects of gravel, I would say, from whether you're a beginner just getting into biking in general and you kind of want to come in. And they also have a lot of pros come on their podcast to talk about gravel racing. Um, so it's sort of all of the levels on theirs. And they, they get into the culture of it as well, how it's, you know, a lot of the races are really working to improve their diversity and inclusion and stuff this year, which has been really cool. Uh, and yeah, Christy actually has been the the race director for Unbound. So, I mean, if, if you wanted to hear from a woman who has the behind the scenes intel on gravel racing uh this is the woman and Catherine was a former pretty serious iron man and half iron man racer and we talked all about the difference between the iron man community versus the gravel community which is sort of interesting given that lifetime owns them all now mm. <laughs> mm. circle yeah. but uh yeah we talked about even just kind of how to find that community because to me when she said she was a triathlete and then had gone to gravel my instinct was okay, this must have been because it was hard to find friends in triathlon, but that actually wasn't necessarily the case for her. So we talked about how even triathletes can find communities, which is something I struggled with a lot in my triathlete years. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, that's how I ended up in cycling. So yeah, That's probably true. I mean, I have lots of clients who have come, well, I, I would maybe say recovered from triathlon, but that's from my <laughs> perspective. But they have certainly like strong ties that have lasted through, you know, and some of their friends are still triathletes and some have moved on to road or gravel or whatever. Hmm. And yeah, I would say that's what I often find is that there's those swim groups or the uh, mm-hmm. training camp groups or yeah. You know, I actually would... I would posit for me it was because I was too young when I was doing triathlon because I think triathlon is a sport for I'm gonna say masters like mm. I, I think a little bit yeah for sure you know you're talking about masters swim groups like I was alone in my college pool just swimming by myself um, I you know ran on my own I had might because, require some funding too in a lot of cases that too um, yeah because yeah like some of these groups are definitely the coaches you know go organizing these camps that mm-hmm. are going places too so yeah there's a bit of a buy-in for sure. Yeah. And I think when you're young, I mean, if I remember being 23 racing triathlon, often it was me and maybe four or five other people in my age group, even in the big races. You were at a, yeah, that's a weird age group for sure. The, what would that be like the 20 to 24? Yeah. Yeah. Women. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. suddenly I got into 25, 29. And I was like, oh no, there's a lot of like a lot more. And then 30 to 34, you're mm-hmm. just like, holy crap. Uh, so yeah. clearly my Which is good. I mean, it's good. I think that's probably part of, that's another you know, positive in some ways to these sports, right? Is it's, you know, you're coming into the, the peak, at least participation age, maybe not the, you know, the performance maybe still Actually, is stable, I but I think the performance really goes up in the 30 to 34. Yeah. 
Yeah, I could see that. Well, sort of all of the factors you just mentioned as far as money, so you can actually maybe afford some better like bikes and swim access and all that. And yeah, just the experience because triathlon is such a technical sport. I don't know why we're now talking no, about triathlon here. deep on triathlon. Uh, but I think gravel actually, arguably, we have we talked about sort of some of the beginner gravel, not mistakes people make, but maybe feelings they have coming in. And we talked about just getting out there and how to think about a course and how to look at a course and cool. prep for a race. And then also some, some insider, like now that you've done a bunch, how do you get better at them? How do you make it go smoother? And they both had some really, really good tips. Sure. Cool. Well, let's get into it. Make sure you head over to the show notes though, to grab the episode of girls gone gravel that I did with them and enjoy this episode with Christy Mont and Catherine Taylor. Catherine and Christy, I am so excited that I get to have the girls gone gravel on the consummate athlete. I was just uh, chatting away with you guys on my podcast or on your podcast. I mean, and now, now we're back to mine. I'm very confused what's happening. This has been a very like long conversation and I just got way over the top excited, um, during our conversation. So, uh, yeah, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Of course. Okay. So you both have kind of interesting uh, intros into the the gravel race scene. Catherine, I want to start with you because you have a quote on the Girls Gone Gravel site um, from a bike shop that prompted kind of this whole evolution of the podcast. Uh, You won't like gravel biking. It's hard. So So I worked at a bike shop and um, the the bike shop owner, he was he was just kind of one of those guys that uh, like he didn't realize what he was saying about women, but he would say a lot of things like, like, oh yeah, women can't complete the tour de France because they physically can't do it. Like, which, you know, was, came from the, the, the old, that kind of old school boy school stuff. And like, there are no South fast women in the Southeast and triathlon, which there actually were quite a lot of fast women in the Southeast and triathlon. So he would just say things like that. And so when I went to buy a gravel bike, he said that to me and it made me really mad. And you, if you read that, you probably read that, um, I had way too much wine one night and woke up at like two in the morning. And I was like, I'm starting an Instagram handle girls gone gravel. And it was kind of a harken. Like I was, I'm 47. So back when I was in high school, like girls gone wild was kind of that, that funny thing. So it was just kind of being funny. Um, and, and then kind of like the community, you know, you call like my girlfriends. And so it was just like, okay, girls gone gravel. And it, it really just became I started sharing pictures of other people that would tag us. I don't even know how they found us, but would tag us on the socials and really became primarily, and it primarily still is, as we just share stories of what rad women in the community are doing on our Instagram handle. And I think that just started to create a community of women. So, so that's, that was really, that was how I got into gravel. Like I bought that bike. I was riding with a friend, this burnout triathlete and started basically the exact same time girls gone gravel because I like I to jump it. into things. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, but you beforehand were a triathlete and you were more in the, the half Ironman distance. So how did you, yeah. end, like what, what got you started in triathlon to begin with? I got started in triathlon. I, I moved to Atlanta. Uh, I now live in Washington state, but I moved to Atlanta and it was about 13 to 14 years ago. And when I moved, I didn't have any friends. I moved from uh, just like some crazy things happening in the last three or four years of my life. And I was living with my parents while I was trying to buy a house, which was hard at that time. And I 
It's like, I've always wanted to do a triathlon. I swam growing up. So maybe I want to give this a try. <laughs> give it a try. Hey-o. And I Googled triathlon Atlanta and team and training was having a meeting and the options were to sit at home with my parents and watch another round of wheel and fortune or jeopardy or go meet like a bunch of strangers, which I'm kind of an introvert. So I chose the strangers and ended up signing up for that triathlon with team and training. And then got to know all these people. They were my only friends in Atlanta. And the next year they were all doing an Ironman. And I was like, well, if I want to keep hanging out with them. I guess I need to do this Ironman. So I signed up for an Ironman as my second official triathlon that I signed up for. So, um, so yeah, that's how I got into to triathlon. And then I ended up uh, coaching and working with Atlanta Tri Club and doing some stuff with USA Triathlon and then got burnt out on that. So um, decided mm-hmm. to give the gravel thing a try. It's actually interesting. You're maybe one of the only people I've ever talked to who had a good community oriented experience in triathlon. Uh, usually I'm talking to former triathletes who left triathlon because the community just was not super welcoming or super friendly. And it sounds like you actually had like a good community experience with it. Yeah. I mean, team and training is known for that, right? Like that mm-hmm. you raise money for the leukemia and lymphoma society. And I didn't necessarily have a connection with that, but so many people did. And it, it was triathlon is a very selfish endeavor. Um, And so many people had that connection and we're doing something for a greater cause. And just, you know, you go on the race course and there would be, you know, 300 people and team and training kits. And no matter where they were coming from, they'd be like, go team. And so it was really cool. And then I I stumbled into Atlanta triathlon club and it had the same vibe and that same sense of community. Um, It was one of the biggest triathlon clubs uh, in the country. And so I was really fortunate, but I do know other people that have felt that very competitive, not a great supportive vibe in triathlon, but I, I always had a very supportive vibe. Mm-hmm. I'm at Sarah's standing desk and it's too short for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny. I think I, like I did triathlon for probably 10, 10 years, I guess in total. And I don't think I've ever made, I never made a single friend at a triathlon compared to cycling where I have made like, I mean, literally it's made me a career and I've made like thousands of friends yeah. at cycling stuff. I um, think, I feel like cycling people are a little, like they're less type A and type, and not that they're not serious about it, but they're less like all consumed mm-hmm. by things. And like, if I miss a moment of training, life mm-hmm. is over. So, uh, and there's more beer for sure. Also there's more beer. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're not standing in front of a lake that you're all going to dive into thinking like, Oh God, one of these people is going to kick me in the head. So there's that, uh, that I I was usually the kicker. I've been the, I've been both. I've been the kicker. I've been the kicky. It's, it's all a mess. (laughs) I say that I have the flight or fight in the water, not only in the water. Um, and so all of a sudden I'm like, I will get out of this group of people, no matter what. <laughs> now I'm like tempted to look at our races and see if we've ever crossed paths. Oh no. It's possible I kicked you in the head. <laughs> Quite possible. I mean, I don't think we raced have. in the same age group though. I, I think you're a bit younger than me. A little. But all right. And Christy, uh, you started riding gravel back in 2004 in Emporia, Kansas, which I feel That's like correct. is a bit of a hint for like where that went with your that, gravel yeah, career. Where that went. Yeah. I mean, that's really where it went. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you get into gravel? What's your, what's your origin story here? Um, my husband really, um, he, I was a runner 
and was really trying to look for something for him to do that um, would get him into some sort of fitness in some sort of shape. Um, he tried running with me and he hated it. A friend took him out on a bike. He liked that. And it sort of led to, well, he really liked it. Um, and all of a sudden we were competing for the same hours to try to go out and do training runs and or rides because we had two young kids at home. Mm. So we ended up using it as like date time. So I got a bike, he got, he had a bike and we would, you know, kind of do both. I, I would do both. I would run and ride and he would ride. And like, we did several rides together and that kind of, he was one of the very first 34 athletes that did, um, the event DK now unbound gravel. He was one of those 34 athletes that lined up at that start line. And I just kind of followed suit in the gravel scene, like, you know, right there beside him. I mean, he was the one that did the event, but I was out training and doing all that stuff too. So really just from that and loved, loved it, loved the, the community around it, loved the aspect of adventure that came with gravel riding um, love the fact that you were on a bike that you could be riding and be like, there's a cool road. I'm going to go see where that goes and, you know, not feel limited by the, by, by the bike. And obviously compared to running, it was easier on my body. And it was also, you could go further and see more cool things. So mm -hmm. really, that's kind of, kind of what got me. Yeah. Okay. And you didn't just end up like doing DK. You also became the race director. Well, I'm, I'm on the, I'm one of the OG of the team that in 2008, I joined the team to help. Um, the first event was in 2006 after the 2008 event, I, I went and talked to the, um, owners at the time, Joel and Jim and asked if I could help grow the event. Um, which, you know, we did, we grew it. It went from 34 riders to around 4,000. So it's, it's pretty cool to see the growth of it and to see what it's done for my hometown of Emporia, Kansas has been really, really pretty spectacular. So. Mm -hmm. No, that's amazing. So yeah. what's, what is like the day job now? Like, what does it fully entail? Well, I'm a real estate agent by paid gig. I have a Cobalt Banker franchise in Emporia, Kansas with a business oh. partner, um, Jamie Souter and I own that. We have been selling real estate since 2007. Um, and, um, lifetime purchased unbound in 2018 i've stayed on as marketing manager for off-road cycling events and business development so i kind of work in the off-road spaces with big sugar the rad um and um obviously unbound um and then also help a lot with their their dei initiatives and um yeah that's kind of what my role is with that and then i do real estate and then well, there's, I do lots of different mix, mix this podcast into mix do the podcast. We own some property in Patagonia. We have the gravel house, which is an Airbnb down here. And yeah, just so cool. Lots of little things that all kind of center around cycling somehow or another. I think it's, what's cool about Christy is sorry to interrupt your, interrupt no. your podcast, but she really looks at like economic development. So mm. she's like, we needed jobs and we needed opportunities in Emporia. Yeah. And so she thought about like, how do we, how do like now there's this event and I, I don't want to speak for you, Christy, but like, yeah, those downtown businesses make their entire year's revenue at that yeah, event. It's, it's, they define it as their Christmas, honestly. So, mm -hmm. you know, and when we first moved the event downtown, it's probably one of my favorite stories. There were, there were no restaurants 
in that commercial street area where the event is now. We actually had the farmer's market host a pasta feed out of a church basement for the athletes. And after a couple of years of that, you know, we ended up with Mulready's and Casa Ramos moving in and Amanda's Bakery. And you know, I mean, just like, just, it just goes on and on and on and on. And it's really cool to see how cycling kind of um, really resurrected my hometown. So. I love that. Um, and you mentioned DEI initiatives and you also have the 200 women, 200 miles, which I actually remember hearing about back when I was uh, writing more full-time at bicycling. I think it was like the, mm -hmm. the year I was there was the year that that initiative came out. Can you kind of yep. explain that? Cause that's so cool. Well, really it was, I mean, you know, I feel like I've told the story a lot, but it, it's, it was an initiative to just tell women, Hey, you can do this. You know, it was, making sure that they knew that they were invited, making sure that they knew they had permission to try it and, and making it um, at a, a priority at our start line to see um, 200 women line up for that 200 mile distance. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the guys on the team said it would take three years for us to get to that goal. And it took us three hours. So amazing. Yeah. It's so funny when you mentioned that, like the, the women can do it. I was actually talking to someone today about almost the, the exact opposite where I think men have this tendency to just assume that they can do literally anything. Like, oh, yeah. I, I feel like you could have a guy who's like, I've ridden 20 miles before I can definitely oh, ride 200 of yeah. gravel. Like no, no question. Actually, literally uh, in the, in the race, I just did the hundred mile running race. Uh, I was chatting with a guy whose longest run had been 30 miles. Like that was his longest run. And he was there and he was he did not seem concerned about doing a hundred miles. It just didn't even occur to him that he might not finish. He was just like, oh, I'm just going to keep going. Like, no problem. I was like, I don't know a single woman who would be like, I've done 30 miles. I can definitely run a hundred. No problem. Uh, so yeah. I think, yeah, it's like, and I don't know if that's like good or bad or what that is. I feel like we probably, like, we could probably both learn from, from each other here where like women could probably like be more like, up for up for trying after they've maybe done like a hundred miles, like maybe 200 is reasonable. Um, and men could maybe be like a titch more cautious with their, uh, <laughs> and this is obviously not every man or every woman, but no. it's just my, my, no, it's a general observation. Yeah. Good one. It's a good yeah. one. <laughs> we used to see it at the bike shop. Like we would see a guy was like, I'm going to do a triathlon. And then he would go in and he would, you know, spend $5,000 on a bike and another thousand dollars to cut himself out for his like first sprint triathlon. Right. Mm -hmm. And the woman like would like go through, can I not like, I have to spend time with my kids. Like, what is this going to take away from my kids and like my job? And can I do this? Can I finish it? Mm -hmm. And like the hurdles to get there are much more like in our minds. We have to overcome so much more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, both of you have obviously done these, these big gravel races. So how did you get to the, how did you get to the start line for these first ones? Like what, maybe talk about if you can both kind of talk about your, your biggest gravel event or maybe your first gravel event, just like one of the ones where you were a little maybe nervous about if you could do it or not, or what it would look like. I have not done like any of the major <laughs> gravel events, uh, which is funny because when I went to gravel, I didn't really want to to race and do a lot of events or do like the long distance endurance training. And, and of course, like you've done a lot of that long distance training and you kind of get that I should. And, and I've actually learned what brings me joy is kind of that 40 to 50 mile event. And, and, and for me, it was more about being okay with like, not saying it's just this far, but like, I'm here for this adventure yep. and I want to do whatever I want to do. And, um, 
uh, yeah, that was actually more of the barrier that I had to overcome and really enjoy going to events um, than like, like I had no doubt I, because I'd done an Ironman and I, I just know like it's all about the training, right? Like to get to the finish line of those big it's really just showing up and consistently training. So it, it was more just being okay, not doing all that training and just having fun and enjoying it. Maybe one day I'll do one of those big races, but I don't know that I ever want to. I love that so much. It's funny. I actually often say that I think like the shorter distances in some ways are it's like, can be so much more challenging. Like if you want them to be challenging, like I think a 10 K is personally like way harder than a, a 50 mile race. So a, a sprint triathlon is way harder than an Ironman hundred <laughs> percent, but the training is not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although I don't know. I'm not really a workout person. So anytime you're like, go hard, I'm like, Oh, must I? So it's maybe why I go long. It's really just my avoidance of, <laughs> of intervals. The length I will go to avoid yeah. interval training. <laughs> That's is, so funny. Uh, I love interval training. I'm like, do I have to sit on the trainer for two hours? And in this training group I'm in, we'd had these 40 seconds on 20 seconds off intervals. And everybody was like, that was so hard. I was like, that was my favorite workout of the all three months we've been doing this. Yuck. Better you than me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Christy, how about you getting to that start line being, being one of the women? Um, I guess, you know, I, I, I've never been in I've really never been intimidated by start lines and it's, it's probably because I really don't know any better. I didn't grow up as an athlete. Um, I've just grown up as someone that's always felt fairly, um, like, like fairly enabled. My mom was always that person, like you can do whatever you want. And so when I started into that space, I didn't ever think I couldn't, it wasn't, so it wasn't an intimidation factor for me. I mean, I did my first, my first big gravel race was probably gravel worlds, which is 150 miles. Um, it's in August. So it was, you know, obviously it was supposed to be super hot. And the year that the first year I did gravel worlds, it was like 40 degrees at the start. It was so cold <laughs> and I was not prepared as in, I didn't have, I mean, it's August in the Midwest. I didn't take a jacket. So I mean, I did, I was not prepared and it was rainy and cold. So I literally started in this purple zippered hoodie that was soaking wet, um, by like mile 20 and tied around my weight. It was a mess, but it was a, I mean, you know, it was a blast and, and, um, you know, I've done, I've done so many, like I've done all of almost all of the mid South slash land runs I've done. Rebecca's private Idaho. I mean, I, I think I've done all of them. I don't know. Steamboat, um, last best ride, like, but you know, I think too, as, as, um, I'm going through this, I don't feel like I have necessarily, like I have to prove anything to anyone or even to myself anymore and have been looking at events differently. Like, mm-hmm. I don't feel like you have to go that super long distance if you don't want to like signing up for, a sh- something shorter or something. It's just, it's just been kind of a flip of the switch for me this last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Catherine's helped with that. I don't know, but, um, and you know, just getting older too, and being like, how many times do I have to go ride my bike 200 miles? You know, like been there, done that. And the rain stuff anymore. I've, I've done a mid South where I've hiked my bike for 13 miles of the 100. Oh, this miserable. 
it was awful. Um, and as proud as I am that I finished that, I also have zero desire to do it again. <laughs> so I don't know. Totally yeah. fair. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So for both of you, I want to hear your best tips for new gravel racers. Cause I mean, obviously gravel is booming. Um, we, we know this, um, so men or women, what's your tip for someone who's new to the sport and maybe a little nervous. It could be gear. It could be race strategy. It could be training, anything. Just hit me with your best advice for new riders. Who, who's going first? Oh boy. <laughs> you probably have a lot more. So I'll, I just think like, um, just sign up for something do it. And I actually recommend if you're like brand new, find something local because I think it takes the Mm -hmm. pressure off, right? If you're trying to get into one of these like massive events and you put so much money into things and you're, you tried to get into unbound or SBT or one of the big events that sells out. And then you got in, you put so much pressure on yourself and there's so much cool stuff about those, right? The big finish line, like, like, because I did so many Ironman races. I'm like, ah, when I went to Emporia, it felt like a hometown race that even though it had a big company connected to it, And I loved that. Um, So you're not going to get like all that stuff with a local race, but you're going to get like organizers. They're showing off pressure on you to to get out and do it and get some experience and um, have a big start and ride with a group. So I I think that's it. And, and then my other thing is like, just, you feel more confident if you come up with some kind of training plan, there's lots of free training plans you can find online, but you just have a plan. Um, I think that'll, that'll get you there. And then like all that tire gear, all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I have show up with the same tires to every race. I'm the worst. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I should have changed my tires for this ride, but I think it's going to be fine. <laughs> so I, that's just me being lazy. <laughs> but I think that's a good point. I think that's what happens is we start putting these, these hurdles in front of us that we don't need. Um, and, and so, yes, I mean, you know, understanding what it takes to finish these events is important and understanding what gear is, is preferred is important, but we also have people showing up to the unbound start line on the bike. They pulled out of the garage, you know, I mean, it's, it's not, it's all, it's doable, but I think, I think if I had any tip, especially if you're, if you're really kind of getting into this and moving into this space, you need, you need to practice what you're doing on race day. And that if you're doing that, you're probably going to be in a pretty good spot. That means if you're running, you know, Maxis Ramblers tires, don't change it two weeks before the race, just stick with, (laughs) stick with what you've been training with. Same with your saddle, same with your chamois, same with your nutrition, like be practicing that as you're going through the training so that when you show up to race day, you've controlled the controllables and the rest of it can, you know, is going to happen as it happens. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and there's good, there's so many great resources out there now from compared to how it used to be, you know, it's, it's there, you can go on our, our Facebook group and ask questions and get really, really great advice and guidance from mm-hmm. women that have been there, done that. Um, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's, it's all there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. And I mean, even if you, if you're like into video too, like on YouTube, you can mm-hmm. find pretty much every course and see what's coming. Um, I think actually to your point about training and prepping for race day, I think one thing that a lot of people don't do is we hear this from a lot of people who are in cities and they're trying to train to do gravel. So they don't live near any gravel roads, but they want to race gravel. 
So they end up showing up to the start line, having not really ridden on gravel at all. Mm -hmm. And also like doing like no elevation because they live in flat cities. And most of these gravel races are pretty defined by how hilly they are. So um, can we talk about maybe just like how gravel is really fun to ride and maybe training on gravel makes sense if we want to race it? (laughs) I think that's a great idea. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the the other thing is it's, that's defined so differently everywhere you go, right? Like Christy and I were in Steamboat this summer and I was like, these are the nicest gravel roads I've ever been on. It's like riding pavement, right? And I've done some roads like that back when I lived in Georgia. And then there's other roads that I've gone down that I was like, I can't believe I made it down that. Like that was, this is not a road. That was so technical. Um, and going straight down a hill, uh, last a few weeks ago, I was riding with a woman out here and I just hadn't done a lot of technical stuff out and in Washington state yet. And it was so much climbing. Like, like I looked at the elevation, but there's like in Georgia, it was a lot of rolling hills and climbing like that. And this is a lot of like just long slog climbs, which is a very different, um, <laughs> and we're bombing down a hill and she takes a turn. And she's like, I hope you don't mind single track. I was like, crap. It's been a long time since I've ridden any single track. <laughs> so, so, you know, like you kind of, knowing what you're going to ride to you can be on that super nice gravel and then like oh crap I'm gonna have some really technical stuff that I that that those skills do help you and and you get them from getting out and riding and just practice like I learned a lot of things on YouTube and then going out Mm -hmm. and practicing that technique or or riding behind somebody that was really good and learning how to descend because I watched Mm -hmm. what they did yeah. Yeah. I love that. And okay. Actually talk to me about that transition to single track. Like what's, do you have any like cues you tell yourself as you're like shifting from just like, ah, nice pavement or nice gravel to, Oh God. Can I cuss on this podcast? Yes. <laughs> Cause it's like, Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> and on like, for me, it, because I hadn't ridden it in a long time. And when I've ridden it before, it was like controlled. Like I knew I was going to go on single track and I was practicing it. And this was like, you were in the I couldn't see three feet in front of me because of the way it twisted. And so I just had to kind of be okay with getting off and walking for a minute. And then I just like got myself back together. And I think that's the thing that people don't realize is um, quite a number of people walk in gravel races at some technical part, at some like part that gets too steep for them. Um, it's, it's like trail running, you know, like nobody's running the whole thing. <laughs> um, and there are some people like, right. That are going to ride everything, but a lot of people are going to walk certain parts. They're going to walk stream crossings. And so, um, that might your first event. You might not when <laughs> I did one event and I tried to do the stream crossing and I got almost all the way across and my wheel got caught in a rock and I almost went like straight down into the stream, <laughs> you know? Um, oh, geez. And it was just like, oh, I went a little too far into the the deep part, but it, yeah. I wouldn't have known that if I wouldn't have tried. So mm-hmm. actually to the point of walking stream crossing, they're running over stream crossings. I would advise that for everyone, because as your local bike mechanic will tell you, he hates when you ride through streams. He would really prefer that you didn't ride through but that they're stream. They're so fun. And they I feel so know. badass when you do it. <laughs> I know. I know. I've just had my mechanic be like furious with me, like take out my bottom bracket and like, like a goldfish comes out of it. And he's like, what did you do? I'm like, I'm sorry. Um, but your yeah. mechanic will thank you if you just run over the streams. <laughs> and I think you're totally right. Like the people at the front of the race are absolutely, I mean, they're probably running more than they're walking, but they're definitely off their bikes. Like, especially, you know, if you think about that single track, if you're in a pack and suddenly you're in single track, guess what? Someone's off the bike. So yeah. Normalize 
normalize walking. That's, <laughs> that's how I feel about gravel. <laughs> okay. Um, what do you guys do as far as food and drink goes for gravel events? Cause I know this is like a point of contention, a point that's up for debate. Like people can, you know, write books about how we're fueling gravel. Do you, do you use packs? Do you use bottles, food in pockets? What are you, what are you eating? What are you drinking? Go tell me everything. <laughs> Again, I think this is where you've got to practice what you're doing. Yes. Um, and that's why yes. I'm asking you about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I use, I use, um, goo roctane gels a lot. That's kind of my go-to like fallback. Um, I like real food, um, as well. Um, you know, you'll often find like beef jerky or bananas or something like that in my pack. Um, uh, but, um, and then the way, you know, for nutrition, like, um, hydration, I usually have roctane in my bottles and water in my camelback. Um, but the camelback, you know, it just, I mean, again, it kind of depends on what distances you're doing, but the camelback is great from the perspective, especially at the beginning of a big event where it's going to be hard to reach down and grab a bottle that you want that, that hydration up on your body where you can access it easily and make sure you're drinking. Um, I think I am notoriously bad at keeping hydrated and nutrated. Same, <laughs> Same here. Um, but I've worked really hard. Um, I've used the, my, my Garmin head unit has the cues. Like I do, like, if you're bad at that, put things in, in place to make sure you're staying ahead of yourself on nutrition and hydration. Mm-hmm. But, um, again, like, I think just, there's so many great products out there, scratch tailwind untapped, like all, you know, there are so many good nutrition products out there that really, I think you just have to kind of find what works for you and, and stick to it. And then obviously, um, real food is huge. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Love I, it. I, if I never see another goo ever again, after like I just, I can't stomach them. Um, so I, I really enjoy the real food. And again, that's because I'm not like trying to go out super hard. I mean, mm-hmm. I had a shot of whiskey at SBT <laughs> Shammy better had a whiskey stop at the top of the last hill. And I was like, other people were passing it up. And I was like, why would I pass this up? Um, we're seven miles from town. This sounds fun. <laughs> so whatever, whatever gets you through it. Love it. Love it. Um, what's your go-to real food that you like to have on the bike? Um, I like fig Newtons, uh, not the real fig. They're the ones that come in this package. Like they're, they're a natural brand. Cause they just mm-hmm. come in a package and they've got, um, a good amount of carbs. And then mm-hmm. I think they're about 200 calories for the package, which is a good, like, if I think about eating one of those every hour, my other favorite thing that I always try to have with me is gummy bears because they're a really fast sugar. Mm-hmm. So they do like what the goo would do for you, except for they don't, they're not that delicious gel thing, just in case yes. goo decides they ever want to sponsor us. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Christy's a fan of them. I'm, I'm a total fan of goo, but yeah, but I, I just overdid it. Like triathlon totally. training. it's, it's more of a, I can't stomach the texture and stuff anymore. Yeah. We made the mistake of, um, for our Ironman we did back in 2017, we'd ordered a ton of gels and like to the point where we still have them now. Like I still haven't gotten through away. all them. <laughs> they still taste totally fine. Um, I, but the problem is they're actually like the hundred milligram caffeine ones. 
So you yeah. really can't over, like you can't take a bunch of them at once. So I like, it's taken us a really long time to get rid of them. They still taste totally fine though and no issues, but I'm with you on the, the gel fatigue after triathlon for sure. It's real. Um, yeah. Okay. So we've got nutrition. We've got like not stressing too hard about the bike here. And I know neither of you has like mentioned pre-race nerves and actually kind of like almost the absence of pre-race nerves. What do you tell when women are asking you about like, I'm terrified of the start line. How are you, how are you talking them down? Cause I feel like this is something that I still contend with, uh, every day of my life. So yeah, best, uh, best start line nerve tips here. Check out the start line. I mean, excellent right at the beginning tip. of the course, you know, understand what you're going to be seeing on race day, go ride it and check it out. Um, find a friend. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just that, those are mine and, and be, be vocal. Like, do not be afraid to tell some jackass to get away from you. If he's too close, like just, just speak up, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and literally I think, you know, I'm thinking about like the biggest start lines I've done, you know, I try to like mm-hmm. find a spot where I feel comfortable and just own that space. Um, you know, that's, that's it. I and then that. there's just going to be nerves. Like, it's just, you're just, you're not going to get away from it. Just realize it's going to go away. Like 20 minutes in, you'll forget all about how you were feeling and that part's over then. Mm-hmm. The owning your space, I think is huge. And again, obviously, especially for women, I think, yeah, mm-hmm. we have this tendency to let ourselves get boxed out, especially in those mass starts where it is just like a mix yeah. men's and women's. Um, and yeah, owning that because frankly, like a lot of the time you're probably the strongest one in that group around you anyway, yep. you just need to own it. <laughs> Love it. Catherine, what about you? I just try to keep in mind that everybody's nervous, right? It's not just me. And I think sometimes we think, oh, I'm the only one that really has a lot of nerves. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I, I try to focus on that. Like everybody's feeling that way. We've even like, I've asked some of the best pros that we've had on our podcast and they're all like, yes, I'm very nervous at the start line. Um, <laughs> I also start yelling triathlete, bad bike handling skills. People tend to get on a path. Very smart. Very <laughs> smart. Yeah. 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 I'm not a, I had a pretty, I went over my handlebars pretty hard on my bike, uh, colliding with a person, not on a bike, on a skateboard, um, toward the end of my triathlon time. And so, um, I tend to get nervous, like when there's a lot of people around me really close, just like that control thing. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's just going, everybody's feeling this way. I'll find my own mm-hmm. face, <laughs> yell if I need to, it's like all the things Christy said, and then just keeping in mind, um, literally is feeling the same way. That's why the yeah. porta potty lines are so long. Oh, hundred percent. I am one of those people who like gets in the porta potty line, uses it, and then just gets back in the porta potty line because it's just. I'm like, eh, it's going to take a while anyway. <laughs> so that's my free race. Uh, my whole free race situation. <laughs> and. Actually, to to the point of the the coming back from a crash, I actually had meant to ask you about this earlier. How, like, I know that kind of really changed your whole trajectory. You were kind of thinking toward, you were leaning towards training for uh, Ironman World Championships, and then that kind of uh, derailed you. How did you how did you manage to get back on the bike after that? I mean, I know obviously you shif- shifted gears a bit, but still, yeah. the, the comeback is scary. Yeah. Gravel, uh, going onto the gravel scene really helps just there's more open space and, you know, like 
less people on the roads, but it was pretty terrifying. Like I had to really work on descending, like my mental skills around descending. And now I, I can bomb down the hill with, but that took a lot of just like getting out there and doing it. And I did have some, it was like one of those things where it wasn't enough of an injury that you're like, Oh, this is, I'm out for like a really long time. But it was, it was enough that where I just had some knee issues for almost a year and a half that it took a long time to get my full mobility and range of motion back. And so just all that adding the running, all the pieces of triathlon just was not beneficial Mm -hmm. to that. And so that really kind of helped me transition over into gravel even more. And, um, I did a lot of yoga and a lot of strength training that year to get like, I couldn't even like, you know, how you can kind of sit on your knee or bend all the way down into a low squat. I couldn't do that for a long time without pain. So, mm-hmm. but now I, now I totally can again. Nice. So. Actually speak to me about yoga and strength training. Did you give them up when you got back into bikes or do they still keep going or? Oh no. So, um, I am a huge advocate of strength training. Like if you're ever around me, I will tell every woman I know do deadlifts, I mean, yes. especially in gravel because there's so much strength, core strength, back strength. Um, and then that glute and hamstring strength, like the stronger you are, uh, the better you're going to do on the bike, the longer you're going to be able to have staying power on the bike. And not that Christy and I are getting older, but we're getting a little older. And it's, we're all getting a little older. It's really important for women, you know, as they hit that perimenopause menopause to be really adding strength. Like if, if you want to, if you want to be riding your bike for the long haul, you need to be putting strength training in there. Mm-hmm. And I know Christy's be doing, been on a big kick lately. Yeah. If you want to be doing anything yeah, for the long haul, there needs to be strength training in there. That doesn't yeah. mean you have to do it like 20 hours a week, ladies. Yeah. I do two sessions a week typically. Yeah, and it. it's, it's so like, you know, to, if I'm doing it. deadlifts, it's three to six sets of three to five reps of a, of a, not my max heavy, but a pretty heavy weight for me. And the same, like with the, I'll, do a single leg or a, a, a full squat and then some a lot of auxiliary upper back pulling mm-hmm. that kind of work because we hunch over so much do not do push-up challenges if you ride bikes a lot just do not that's the worst thing you can do it's my pet peeve I hate it when people are like <laughs> I did the 30-day push-up challenge I'm like great your chest is already hunched forward from cycling we always already sit forward on our desks and now you're like you know strength over strengthening those muscles and then your back muscles which you really need are weakening so that's my pet peeve don't do push-up challenges do like a lateral fly challenge or something it's not as sexy it's not as sexy to say that you did 100 lateral flies no no i think it is (laughs) yeah the results (laughs) we're gonna start that christy we're gonna have our own lateral fly challenge i like that let's do that for march yeah, please count, count us in. We like that. Um, no, I think that's, that's fantastic. We actually had Celine Yeager on, um, a couple of months ago and she was talking about that exact thing with the strength training as you're hitting this perimenopause. And then she, she sort of like pointed out that, uh, well, she didn't point it out quite as abruptly as I'm about to say it, but that like, I'm not that far off of that time of my life. So I should really start setting up for it now. So definitely gave me a lot to think about. Although I, I do default to strength training. I, I'm naturally just like a fan of it. And I'm, if anyone sees me in real life, like I'm fairly muscular for my like size and stature. So I enjoy it. 
funny thing, Celine comes up almost every week on our podcast. And I was like, oh, Celine didn't come up today on our podcast. I was just thinking that. <laughs> well, check. So, Done. <laughs> Celine has now come up, uh, although it is on your podcast. So we'll have to direct Celine to listen to your podcast for this yeah, time. Exactly. Because exactly. she always sends us like random texts. And I'm like, yesterday was her birthday. Oh, um, I thought it was today. It was yesterday. You, you missed, it was in the Slack channel. You uh, checked your Slack. Dude, I'm, I'm not, I have not got good. Never mind. Well, happy belated birthday to Celine when she's listening to this like a month later. <laughs> <laughs> Celine uh, works with us with the feisty media mm-hmm. piece of things. Actually, so. yeah. And that's a, that's something I wanted to touch on as we're sort of starting to, to wrap up here is talk to me about feisty media. Like give me the, the back, give me the backstory because I feel like this is just one of the greatest things that has happened to uh endurance sport in general, not just women's endurance sport. I think it's just like such an amazing platform for, for getting more women into the, into all of these sports. So awesome. Well, give me the so, spiel. Yeah. Feist, so my spicy me is the company that I work for full-time girls gone gravel. We officially partnered with them, uh, first with the podcast. And then a couple of like last year, officially full time, but we, our brand became under, came under feisty media. So, uh, with feisty media, our goal is to create an empowering culture for women, for active women. So, and, and really we talk about the culture piece because there's a lot of education and those great things that go on. We do that, but if you don't address the culture issues, you know, we just talked about on, um, our girls gone gravel podcast that people should go over and listen to you on mm-hmm. about just like experiences at the bike shop. Cause you're trying to have these awkward conversations with like maybe younger men and like, that's a cultural piece. So get left out because of some of the culture things or, or what we were talking about. Men will just like get their bikes and women are like really thinking about all the sacrifices. And so, so that's what we do. We, we basically have, uh, four brands that fall underneath that. So one is feisty triathlon. That's where it started. Yeah. Uh, was a professional triathlete. Um, and then we have feisty menopause, which is the brand that Celine leads and then, uh, uh, women's performance. So that's our newest brand where we're just talking basically four pillars of performance for all women and then girls gone gravel, which is, which is our brand. And, and under those three, we, we basically are under those four brands. Um, you know, we do podcasts, we provide, um, online communities, digital products, and then we do events like our, we're doing a gravel festival in Bentonville, um, at the end of April. So, so yeah, that's, that's feisty media and that's how we fall into them. So cool. I love it. And that event in Bentonville sounds like it's going to be super, super fun. So like everyone should definitely check that out or every every woman listening to this should definitely check that out. Um, Although, you know what? I feel like this is like an excellent trip you could go on with your significant other. If you, uh, you know, the gentlemen can go do their rides, Um, you know, women can go do this. There are definitely some people doing that. They're bringing their husband and they're like, you know, he can go ride wherever he wants to. And I'm going to, or, or maybe he wants to mountain bike because Mittenville's known mm-hmm. for mountain biking and they're coming to the festival and they're going to stay a few days and ride together. So I definitely think, you know, you can get the best of both worlds out of a little trip to Bentonville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if anyone needs Airbnb recommendations, we stayed in a great one that allowed us to have our dog, which was fantastic. And it was right by the trails. So <laughs> like, like Bentonville should really sponsor us at this point with how much we've been talking them <laughs> up in the past month. Cause we were just like loving being there, um, but hashtag not sponsored. Um, 
Awesome. Well, I feel like this has given me so much gravel stoke. I just said it on your podcast, but I'm like, darn it. This is making me want to come back to bike racing, which is a very big problem given that I just spent three years of my life really trying to focus on the running. Um, bad news for, for me, bad news for my running coach, but, uh, you know, you can mix it in. You can mix it in. You don't have to go do like the Epic gravel stuff. Like, oh, this is the problem with me. I, know. I have oh, no, no filter. Needs- Christy, the rad. We need to get Molly to the rad. The rad doesn't it's have perfect. the rad anymore. Oh. Okay, Mid-South. Yeah, Mid-South or Gravel Worlds, either one of them. Yeah, I have no filter. It's a huge problem. Like this is how I blew my knee out a couple of years ago because of gravel, actually. I was like training pretty much strictly for running. And then someone was like, oh, there's this local gravel thing. It'll be super fun. And I was like, that sounds like a great idea. I'm going to do that 70 mile race and then get in the car and drive 10 hours to New Jersey. No problems here. And oh, it's also snowing and like, you know, negative 10. Um, Sure. This will be totally fine for my body. Uh, Spoiler alert. It wasn't. And my knee still annoys me to this day. So I've learned my lesson, I think. But that said, I'm pretty sure if someone was like, you should do a hundred mile gravel race, like next month, I'd be like, sign me up. So we can find one. I know. I'm like, I'm talking to the wrong people for this. This Yeah. Like, don't talk to me. (laughs) Christy's like, I can get you to come down to Kansas. I'm like, oh no, I need to like block Christy's email. So I can't see it and can't be tempted. (laughs) I have a, I have a tendency to do that to women. (laughs) I believe it. Okay. Before we go, uh, quickly just remind everyone where they can find girls gone gravel. And if either of you have social channels that we should be following as well, uh, let us, let us hear those. So girls gone gravel is just girls gone gravel on Instagram. That's also our website. And then we have a private Facebook group that is just hit 12,000 women, uh, called women gravel cyclists. Amazing. So you can join that as well. You can follow me at Catherine Margaret. It's K-T-H-R-Y-N-M-A-R-G-R-E-T. It's all weird spellings, but it's really just my dog and my niece. So it's not that exciting. What kind of dog? To follow me. Uh, she's a, she's a Jindo mix. She's oh. looking at me right now. Like, why am I stuck in this office? Why did you bring me to Canada today? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And I'm at uh, KC Moan, M-O-H-N on Instagram. Okay. That's the best place to kind of see what I'm up to though. Usually it's girls gone gravel and bikes. So (laughs) perfect. Ah, well, thank you both so much for coming on and for having me on girls gone gravel. I'm so excited to to finally meet you. I've been kind of following the the girls gone gravel thing for quite a while. So it's, it's great that we finally got to connect. Thanks Molly. Thanks so much for tuning into the consummate athlete podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram at consummateathlete and we will see you next week.